there is things like existential scarcity. So this oh, yeah. idea of sometimes this is called a midlife crisis, but really essentially gets down to realizing that your life is just too short to waste on stuff that isn't good to the best of your ability. And having that sense of scarcity around your time and scarcity around just your life, that can be really powerful. It can really revolutionize a lot of what you choose to do with your time. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. So whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about abundance and scarcity. We've probably all heard platitudes about having an abundance mindset, which a lot of people love, but can also feel disingenuous to others. Today, we're going to be exploring the science behind feelings of scarcity or abundance, how it actually affects our behavior when it comes to dating and relationships, And we'll also be looking at some ways to maybe turn the concept of the abundance mindset and scarcity mindset on its head and see if we may be able to use both to our advantage. Hmm. Yeah, I just have to start out by giving the disclaimer that even saying the words out loud, abundance mindset or scarcity mindset, does make me throw up a tiny bit, just like right in the back of my mouth, just subtly, just a tiny bit. Can you talk bit. about that a bit? About what, your not version? Not to throw up. But no, to, no, just, <laughs> just your aversion to that, that kind of that phrase, those two phrases. I think that these phrases often get bandied about in some groups who don't have maybe my favorite collection of orthodoxy, like Hmm. let's say the kind of think your way to being rich sort of crowd or, you know, where it's all about, oh, you just have a scarcity mindset. That's why you're poor. You got to change the way you think. You got to think like a millionaire and then everything's going to become easy. Poor dad thing. No, no. more like a think and be rich. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's maybe a tiny bit of that in rich dad, poor dad. There is a little bit of this sense of these are the things that poor people focus on and that's mm. what perpetuates their poverty. And these are the things rich people focus on. A Yikes. little bit of that. Yeah. I think that this terminology also sometimes shows up in the just like be so confident that women are going to throw themselves at you and you're just going to be drowning in lady parts. Lady parts. <laughs> to, for lack of a better term. <laughs> yeah, I could have wow. gone more vulgar with that, but mm-hmm. figured mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Yeah. So there's that. And also at the same time, I think about my lived experience that feeling a sense of abundance, whether that's real or imagined, or feeling a sense of scarcity, again, real or imagined, has had undeniable effects on my own life and on my behavior at times. And so it's, I, I wanted to tackle this topic because it feels like part of this seems like it's bullshit, but then part of it seems like it's not bullshit. What lies in between? Come with me Mm. on a journey as we explore together and try to find, is there anything good at the bottom of the abundance slash scarcity mindset? Well, let's go well diving together. 
This reminds me of a time in my early high school life when I was at a party with my very, very close friend, still very close friend, and she was introducing me to this guy that she kind of liked. And it ended up that I sort of ended up flirting with him all night and she got really angry at me. And I was like, why can't we both flirt with them? Mm. Whatever. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly, I was I was uh, starting my polyamorous journey even back then. <laughs> um, yeah, it is something along those lines that it, it just didn't occur to me that, oh, well... I mean, sure, this guy can like you, but he can also like me. Who cares? So that that kind of felt abundant in that way. Yeah, I think that there is definitely something about modern day non-monogamy and polyamory content and philosophy and thinking that I think does want to encourage people to think about abundance when it comes to partners or affection or getting into relationships or sex. And I do think a part of that can be helpful. We'll dive more into that more specifically later in the episode. But but I also recognize that sometimes you can't just like focus on abundance just to get your way out of a crappy situation mm. or a situation where you're really actually not getting your needs met in life or in your relationships. Yeah, exactly. I think that, like you said, Dedeker, there's been an undeniable effect in your life when you've been more focused on one mindset or the other. And I think that when people come across something that's like, oh, hey, look, this can have a positive effect in this situation. It's the answer to everything. This is all you have to do and all your problems are gone. It's like that leap yes. from this is a could be a really useful, interesting tool to this is the solution to all your problems. Shows up a lot in, in all sorts of different areas, right? Because that's what sells books, I guess. But But I think that that's what I'm excited about this episode is to get to the bottom of that. Like, what is the real part of it, right? Yes. When I think about scarcity, I think about some of my sort of internalized and maybe just societally internalized beliefs regarding gender and looking at a lot of men in my life and saying, well, they've had huge opportunities that have come fairly easily to them simply because they're a guy. And Mm. I've had opportunities that have maybe been a little bit more challenging for me to get to because I'm a woman. And I don't know if either are really like true, like where the truth is in that. But I feel like I internally have some sort of scarcity mindset, perhaps, because I view people that are not my gender sometimes as maybe having more than I have. Yeah, I think that this could be a whole other branch of a topic to go down. But I know I've definitely read essays about the fact that because of that, because things like privilege and structural systemic imbalances are very much a thing, the side effect of that can be then you feel like, okay, I'm a woman or I'm or I'm some other minority and therefore there's a scarcity of opportunity for me and therefore I'm in competition with other women. Sure. Or in competition with other people because we know there's only there's only like 10% of the market is open for me or 10% of the opportunities are open for me. And therefore now I'm competing with other people. You know, there's a scarcity of where I can fit in mm-hmm. into this system that's mostly creating room and space and money and jobs and opportunities for, you know, for men or for white people or things like that. So yeah, I could very much relate to that feeling. Sure. Yeah. I know for me, it comes up a lot thinking about business and having businesses. You know, sometimes I really struggle going back and forth between a sense of, oh my God, like 
we really need to be able to compete. You know, my, my business or, you know, the way that I'm working in the world, I really need to be able to compete. I need to be aware of the competition. I need to be staying ahead of the curve. I need to be making myself relevant. And then sometimes having moments of like, there's plenty of, there's plenty of clients in the world or there's plenty of podcast listeners in the world. There's plenty of an audience. <laughs> right. Like, it's okay. We don't have to be this like completely cutthroat trying to take out the competition. So that's another place where I see kind of switching back and forth between feeling a sense of abundance versus scarcity really affects how I feel about things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of books and things that we've read, such as uh, Company of One, mm -hmm. that's kind of talking about getting out of that mindset of the only way to be successful is to be so huge that you just destroy everyone else and completely monopolize a market. Moving away from that, because it's not even sustainable. Even if you do achieve it, it's not a sustainable business model. And that's interesting to put that in the frame of uh, like, it's almost like not abundance and scarcity, but just sort of enoughness. Competition. Or something yeah. like that. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like enoughness that we don't have to destroy each other, mm. even if maybe we compete some. I don't know. It's, it's interesting to think about it that way in a business well, sense. I'm curious to hear just a little bit more from the two of you about specifically your experience with feelings of abundance or scarcity when it comes to dating or finding partners, whether that's monogamously, non-monogamously. I'm in a monogamous relationship right now. And even when I was in polyamorous relationships, I still felt that urge of, or that sort of pull to compete with people, with my metamors, I guess. And that somehow I still had to rank in some way higher than them. Uh, and that was that. Like competing for your partners? Sure. Affection, time, care. Yeah. All of the above. Just even if it was subtle. But I definitely have felt that happen. It, it's maybe rare when that isn't at least in the back of my mind or that wasn't at least in the back of my mind. And so that that's challenging, even though you want to like move past that and push past those feelings. But I think absolutely at times in dating, it was it was just competing for partner's affection or or at least feeling like I'm getting the most amount of time or the most amount of affection or I really am the one who is the best or something mm -hmm. along those lines. Hmm. Yeah. I feel like it's something that I've definitely experienced different ends of the spectrum of feeling like there's just not any people who are that I could date, right? Not not enough people who are interested in me or who are willing to accept my traveling or how much I work or, you know, what, you know, name whatever reason why there's not people that I could date. And then other times where it's felt like that's ridiculous. Dating's so easy. What are you talking about? And I've definitely kind of been on, on either side of that spectrum at different times, I think. Yeah. Something. So Kiana was our researcher for this episode and something she pointed out was there's with polyamory specifically a little bit of this duality of on the one hand, it can feel like stepping into abundance of like, now I can date whoever, you know, I don't have to just pick one person. Like it's a job interview, you know, I can, I can go and I can explore and I can have a wide variety of types of relationships. And then on the other side, as soon as you claim that identity and that label of polyamorous, your dating pool shrinks like, <laughs> and yeah. then it can bring that real feeling of scarcity of like, no, no, I can't just go on a dating app or like go out to a bar or just whatever. You know, I actually have to be very, very mindful and very careful about screening people who are going to be a good fit for me. And I think that's a really interesting sort of dual world that many of us straddle. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, so... 
that was a long intro to warm up to this topic. I wanted to acknowledge the fact that in this episode, I wanted to focus mostly on abundance and scarcity as it shows up in our behaviors around dating or partnership and specifically how that plays out in non-monogamy. However, of course, this can affect many, many different arenas of our lives. For instance, our sense of how much time we have our sense of how much money or other resources that we have. There's also the added factor of the fact that sometimes we can have real abundance, real scarcity, or we can have perceived abundance or perceived scarcity, where maybe our external circumstances don't actually match the way that we feel on the inside, which throws other interesting, complicated factors into the mix. So just wanted to acknowledge all of that and invite you listening to have that bouncing around in your brain as you're thinking about these things too. So Dedeker, you talked about the fact that the word mindset when it comes to abundance and scarcity is something that that makes you a little uh, hurly. (laughs) Oh, I I love the word mindset. The word mindset by itself is is a-okay. No nausea sure, about that. But it's when it's attached... Phrase, yes, abundance yes. mindset, scarcity mindset, because of all the baggage attached to that that makes me go a little... <laughs> exactly. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about where this mindset term, that when it's attached to scarcity or abundance, where that comes from. So according to this Forbes article, as well as Wikipedia, Stephen R. Covey first coined the terms abundance mindset and its opposite, scarcity mindset, in his 1989 best-selling self-help book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Wow, I didn't realize that book was that old at this point. That's amazing. (laughs) I never read the original. I read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens when I was was a teen, not like last year or anything. But yeah, I got the teen version. I love it. I just read this book for the first time maybe two, three years ago. I guess three years ago. I always have to add a year to what I think something was because COVID disappeared a right. year from An my entire, brain. At least a year, <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. So, okay, this is from Wikipedia. Covey coined the term abundance mentality or abundance mindset, a way of thinking in which a person believes there are enough resources and successes to share with others. He contrasts it with the scarcity mindset, i.e. destructive and unnecessary competition, which is founded on the idea that if someone else wins or is successful in a situation, it means you lose because you are not considering the possibility of all parties winning in some way or another in a given situation. I think, I th- well, I think that definition doesn't sound terrible on its surface. Personally, I think it speaks to a lot of the stuff we were talking about of this idea of if you can avoid this very cutthroat sense of, yeah, of it's always a zero sum game. If Mm -hmm. I win, that means someone else has to lose. Or if I'm losing, that means someone else is going to be winning. That that could probably be some really good life advice. And in the context of the book where he talks about this is kind of not so much in terms of competition with maybe other companies or other people who do the same thing. But he was talking about it sort of in the context of negotiation. Of like, if I'm going to negotiate with you, the sort of scarcity mindset way is that I've got to somehow get you to to give more than you get kind of mentality, Hmm. right? It's like, I'm going to win this negotiation versus this idea of looking for where's the win-win situation, right? What's the way where all of us get value from this? Because... The argument being not only is that just a kinder, better way to go into something, but also is in the long term better for business. 
Well, I think as we do on the show so much, we have to ask the question, is there any scientific basis to this? Or is it just kind of like self-helpy bullshit? So let's move into that and try to answer that question a little better for us. Yeah. So I wasn't sure of, you know, is there is there any evidence, anything observable that we can see about people with a quote-unquote abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset? And there's a number of interesting studies that don't quite get at that directly, but kind of talk around that. And we're going to talk about a couple today that speak to this. So specifically, I'm looking at this book that was co-authored by a professor of economics at Harvard and a professor of psychology and public affairs at Princeton. It's called Scarcity, colon, The New Science of Having Less and How It Defines Our Lives. This was published in 2013. And this book is an empirical study specifically on the feeling of scarcity or the perceived feeling that we have less of a resource. And in the book, they focus more specifically on time and money. And both of the authors examine specifically the psychosocial effects of this feeling of scarcity and what happens to our brains and how that affects our behavior, like what actions we take as the result of feeling that scarcity. Yeah. And, and so in this, they cover a few kind of concepts that they identified through the research that they did. And the first of those uh, is called tunneling. And essentially tunneling, if you think of it like tunnel vision, it's like you get so focused on something such as how scarce this resource is, you get so focused on that that you neglect anything else. And so they suggested that having more of this scarcity mindset encourages more of this habit of tunneling, of kind of getting ultra-focused on the lack of a thing and trying to get it at the expense of anything else. And that the kind of underlying mechanism of this tunneling thing that goes on can lead to focusing on more immediate short-term goals at the expense of longer-term goals. And even sometimes pursuing a, a short-term win that would even make the longer term goal worse will even like set you back from your mm -hmm. long term goals rather than kind of <laughs> playing the long game or however you want to describe it. And so that would be kind of a negative trait of this tunneling or a negative effect that could happen. But they also discovered that with tunneling, you can experience what they called a focus dividend. Oh, <laughs> what focus a good pays dividends. Re yeah, return yeah. on investment. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And this is that someone can experience increased productivity because they're so focused on this one particular pursuit, which can be seen in certain situations as a positive aspect. So essentially, they saw in this way with tunneling that scarcity can have both a positive and negative effect depending on the extent to which it causes detriment or neglect of those longer-term goals versus how much benefit is gained from the focus that it can give. Another important concept from this study is the concept of bandwidth, which definitely is sort of thrown around this word recently, like emotional bandwidth and so things like that. I feel like I say that, that phrase a lot. Yeah. But bandwidth essentially is the amount of mental space needed to think and process problems and come up with solutions. So a lack of bandwidth inhibits critical cognitive functions such as fluid intelligence and executive control, which governs planning, impulses, and willpower. And then also the concept of slack, which is not just a uh, 
planning and uh, I guess sort of like work, work thing, messaging yeah, workplace. Exactly. I was like for <laughs> businesses, things like that. That's become very big right now. But it's also the leftover resources like time or money uh, available to someone for expenses that may arise. So with fewer resources, low income individuals experience things like juggling. So a complex decision making process by which individuals deal with crises as they arise by constantly shifting their resources according to what is needed most imminently. Yeah, yeah that can so be really difficult, I think, because you can't you can't focus on like things at large. It's just one thing at a time, whatever like immediate danger is happening to you at that particular moment. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk specifically about how this shows up with things like money, but you can see this happening with things like time or focus on a relationship in particular that if you're just so stretched so thin that you don't have the bandwidth necessarily to be thinking yeah. about the long-term goals or maybe your bigger values and you don't have any slack, you don't have any like leftover like breathing room or wiggle room that then you end up running around and putting out fires all the time. Right. I think I see this yeah. a lot with people in multi-partner relationships. I was just going to say, I've <laughs> yeah. been here so, so hard yeah. where you're, you're so at capacity for your time and energy. Sure. And, and it's still somehow not enough and that your partners are getting upset about this not is often, feeling like often a hinge getting, problem. Right. Oh. Like they're not getting enough time or attention. And so then it's kind of like, well, this person's having a breakdown. So I'm going to focus more of my time and energy there at the expense perhaps of others who then they're upset and you're kind of shifting that around, but never finding this state of having any bliss, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Never finding that balance. Yeah. So the authors lay out that scarcity and feelings of scarcity function as a cycle that's that functions according to how people are able to manage both their slack and their bandwidth. You know, so like if they have that mental space and that bandwidth that helps for planning ahead. It helps to minimize that juggling. It helps to maybe even be able to preserve some of that slack to be able to be prepared for unexpected events that come up, whether that's going to call on your time or your money or other resources. And so they do make the argument that sometimes that's easier for some people rather than others, which is why it's easier for some people to get trapped within a perpetual cycle of scarcity. So they did do a variety of different experiments to demonstrate these concepts in action. And I'm just going to walk you through one example specifically focused on money. So they had researchers approach shoppers in a mall in New Jersey and people were asked about their income and then the researchers would classify them secretly, like they wouldn't tell them. They would classify them basically as either rich or poor. And then they would ask them a question. They would say, okay, let's imagine your car needs a repair. The repair is going to cost you $150. And you have the options to either take a loan or you could just pay it in full or you could postpone getting your car repaired. And how are you going to make this decision? And so they would let the participant answer. But then after they gave their answer, they would test them. So they would give them a test that measured their fluid intelligence and their cognitive control. And in that round, when they asked people about the $150, they found that both poor people and rich people did equally well on the test after going through this process of having to think about making the decision about repairing their car. But then in the second round, they changed part of the question. And so instead of needing $150 for the repair, they would actually need $1,500 for the repair. Do the same process, would ask them the same question. You need $1,500 to repair your car. You can take a loan or you could pay it or you could postpone service. And how are you going to make the decision? And the subjects who were rich 
when they got tested mm-hmm. afterwards, they did basically equally as well on the intelligence and willpower tests as they had before. But the group that was poor didn't. Their scores dropped the equivalent of losing about 13 or 14 IQ points, which was larger than the drop experienced by essentially a group that they tested of people who took these same tests after staying up all night. So that like being in that situation where you don't have the resources and then having to make that decision and figure out how you're going to solve the problem with limited resources basically took up so much of their bandwidth that it made it even harder for them to be able to work through the problem. You know, so thinking about how to come up with $150 didn't affect the poor group as much, but thinking about the $1,500 eroded their intelligence more than if they'd been seriously sleep deprived, which is really interesting. And and that's not, I I think it's an interesting thing to say that it's not like, (laughs) basically, it's not like we can come to the conclusion of like, oh, well, clearly the poor group was like not smart enough to figure out the problem. But it's more about like the stress of being posed this question of like, there is real scarcity in your life and how are you going to solve it? And unfortunately, it's kind of a little bit of a double whammy of not only do you not have the resources, but also now you don't have as much mental bandwidth Mm. or emotional bandwidth to be able to come up with effective ways to resolve the scarcity as well, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And we've talked about this in other areas too, where that like decision-making effort can fatigue you and kind of pile up. And we've talked Mm -hmm. about this before in terms of being um, polyamorous or queer or something and kind of that constant little mental work of gauging Mm. who am I talking to? How much do I say? How much do I hide? Do I call this person a friend? Do I call them a partner? Do I call them a metamor? You know, kind of navigating all that can add up to sort of taking this mental and emotional toll. And I think this is just an example of another way where that can show up. And when I think about times in my life where like, I can relate to this question of like, gosh, okay, I need this thing for work or need to get a car, but I can't afford that. What am I going to do? And like those types of decisions, it does like take a lot out of you and makes it a lot harder to just sort of, oh yeah, let me just think more holistically about my finances or all the kind of or yeah, let me just quick step solutions. into an abundance mindset about my right. finances. I can and then do it. It'll all solve it'll, itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was more focusing on a money question and problem in terms of scarcity. But what about scarcity in dating? So we looked at another study called Solving Mates Shortages: Colon Lowering Standards, Searching Farther, and Abstaining which is from Evolutionary Behavioral Sciences in 2020. So when people are faced with shortages and desired romantic partners, how do they cope? Are there any gender differences to those strategies? Do attachment styles play a role as well? This is something we talk about a lot on this show. How much does one's own self-esteem influence which strategy folks will select? So the authors of this study analyzed three specific strategies, One was lowering standards, which we talked about recently on Multiamory 328, where we talked about standards in relationships. You can go back and check that out. Also, abstaining from dating in the present with hopes that better options will come along in the future. I think that's definitely something that people tend to do. They're like, well, I'm not finding anything right now, so I'm just not going to date for a while. And also traveling further to find partners that people in their own like vicinity are not maybe up to snuff, I guess. And so they want to 
look for other people outside of you know their their town or the area in which they live. Something we've definitely seen play out specifically with the non-monogamous community for anyone who doesn't live in a major city. Right. Basically, yeah, I've seen a lot of sense. at least anecdotal evidence of people being willing to travel much further to be able to find someone yeah. who's compatible and open to non-monogamy. So just a quick background about kind of how this study worked. This was multiple surveys sent to groups of participants and they asked them to imagine, like just imagine you're struggling to find a partner, either long-term or short-term. They had different surveys for different ones. And then they asked questions about how would you adapt to that scarcity to try to determine, you know, what would affect which of these different strategies they might take. And then they were also asked questions about how they perceived their own value as partners, as well as some questions to measure their attachment style. So they could look at how these things all relate to each other. So each of the surveys had around 300 participants, a wide range of ages, 18 to 61, and about 50-50 male and female. I don't know if they had options for other genders than that. At least Half of the participants were in some kind of committed, serious relationship, and at least half the participants had had experience with long-distance relationships in the past. 90-plus percent were heterosexual, so not, not a super diverse study, but still we might be able to find some interesting things from this. Yeah, so from these surveys, they, they gleaned some interesting findings about the ways that people deal when they perceive a scarcity of partners. So they found that both men and women prefer to travel further if they perceive there's going to be a long-term relationship mm. with somebody. That Then they're much more willing to go further afield from their local area. And I suppose anecdotally, that that matches up at least with my own experience. I'm like, if, if it's just a hookup, unless the sex is really, really good, I'm not going to drive two hours. I'm sorry. <laughs> sure. I've done that though. <laughs> I've probably done that also, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> They found that women were more likely to choose to abstain from undesirable partners if it was going to be for a short-term relationship, you know, like for a, a casual relationship. That if there's no one around that seemed suitable for a casual relationship, they're more likely to be like, I'm just going to wait it out. I'll just wait until better options are available. Men, on the other hand, were more likely to choose to lower their standards when wanting to find a short-term relationship. And People who felt that they generally had difficulty in relationships and also who had attachment anxiety were more willing to travel and also more willing to lower their standards when faced with a short-term mate shortage. Also, those who felt they were undesirable as mates and reported attachment anxiety indicated greater propensity to travel and lower their standards when faced with a long-term mate shortage. That's interesting. Both short-term and long-term. Yeah. They, they were more willing. Yeah. Alrighty, and finally, those who felt that they had high long-term mate values, so the opposite of what we were just talking about, which was that they felt they were sort of undesirable. So, mm-hmm. so, when so, they okay, had, so this is if you think that you're hot shit. Exactly. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah. So if you have high long-term mate value, these people were unlikely to abstain with when facing a long-term mate shortage. So they're like... Yeah, not going to abstain from finding people when they had a long-term mate shortage. And they were also more likely to travel when faced with a long-term mate shortage. So they're they're ready to go. They're like, like yeah. I'm not going to wait. I'll travel. No. <laughs> yeah, okay. whatever. 
And finally, they were unlikely to lower their standards when faced with a short-term mate shortage. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, they were just like, nah, I'm I'm going to find somebody who I find is worthy of me. Yeah, I guess the interesting takeaway being that it's fascinating how both our own, I don't know, would we call it self-esteem or self-worth or just your own perception of how valuable yeah. you are as a yeah, partner, perceptual potentially, filter, perceptual filter, combined sure. with your attachment style does affect how you respond to to a sense of scarcity or mm-hmm. re- whether that's real or or imagined, you know, how you're going to kind of adjust your strategy as far as finding partners goes. The authors did recognize some of the limitations of this study. So they did call it the fact that, and I appreciate that they called this out, they're like, we only focused on these two types of relationships of either like long-term serious relationship or a casual hookup. And that can be helpful in certain contexts, but there's a wide variety of relationships and relationship needs. They did give a nod to same-sex relationships and polyamorous relationships as well. So nice. at least... Within the research world, they're, they're, they're yeah. learning to <laughs> point like, out the oh, fact yeah. that, hey, there's this, the, a lot of groups of people we intentionally leave out of this. So they can at least say that. That's yeah. nice of them. They're at least saying Better that. Better than nothing, I guess. And they also talked about the fact that they were asking people just hypothetical questions. You know, they just asked people to imagine that you've been trying to find a hookup partner and it's been six months and you haven't found anybody. What are you going to do now? Rather than assessing people in the real world or in real time conditions to see what decisions people would actually make. Yeah, that's interesting too, because there has actually been a fair amount of research also looking at just how bad we are as humans at evaluating how we're actually going to react in some kind of a stressful situation Mm. that we think we're going to react one way and we totally don't. Uh, And that's a whole whole other topic that's very interesting. But that is a good point to bring up here that maybe in reality, actually everyone just lowers their standards and not these other things. Who knows, right? So moving on to the second half of the episode, we're going to now look at this abundance way of thinking and this scarcity way of thinking and look at what are the positives and negatives of both of those and see how we might be able to use those in our lives. But before we go on to that, we're going to take a quick break to talk about some sponsors of this show as well as some ways that you can support us. It really goes a long way to helping us keep this show coming, keep all of this content available to everyone out there for free. And we really appreciate you taking the time to check them out. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just 
keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. So here's the deal. Got to just give you give you the real talk, the real skinny. Give it folks. to you straight. Yes. <laughs> I think both real scarcity and real abundance, as well as perceived scarcity and perceived abundance, does have very real effects on how we behave and the choices that we make. I think for better or for worse. So we want to explore those effects but we don't want to give any sort of sense of shame or judgment for what kind of quote-unquote mindset that you have, especially because our mindset at any given time can be affected by so many different factors, including your relative level of neurodivergence, any mental health issues that are either long-term or short-term. So rather than talking about this like it's a mindset, we're going to explore both the pros and the cons of attuning to abundance or scarcity. And when I say attuning, I mean by noticing or paying attention to or focusing on feelings of abundance or on feelings of scarcity. So for the purposes of this section, I'm going to call this abundance attunement or scarcity attunement, TM, 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 TM. When I create my next book, which is going to be abundance, stick the mindset to the man. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Because I was thinking like abundance without the a bullshit. (laughs) Dang it. It's so much better. That's pretty good too. <laughs> See, it, this is going to become a multi-every book, not just a Dedeker Winston book. But right. I don't know. We'll say you were the one that coined this, so we'll figure that out. But first, okay, we're going to talk about how abundance attunement, TM, 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 can be beneficial. So, so again, how, just to clarify, this yes. is just choosing to focus in a particular Attune moment your on mind. abundance. Exactly. In a particular moment, not permanently not etched in stone, just when you choose to think yeah. about abundance. I love that idea, Edgar, that, that, yeah, that you are in control of what it is that you're feeling and thinking potentially like in these moments. And that's not always the case, but sometimes you can like stand back and say, okay, I'm going to choose right now to, to go in the direction of abundance. Here we go. Let's go there. Yeah. I, I do think that's a really interesting reframing of mm-hmm. it being temporary too. Yeah. Of kind of being like the idea of just, I'm going to suddenly think everything's abundant, even though I don't have money and I don't have partners and blah, blah, blah. Like that just seems impossible and maybe it's unrealistic that way. But it's like, but what if I just for the next 30 minutes while I'm trying to do this, what if I just for that moment of time try to attune to abundance and see what happens if I want these benefits? Maybe. Yeah. So how can it be beneficial? So for one thing, it can help you deprogram toxic monogamy patterns and behaviors. So things like, you know, just let's take a little little pressure off that big old valve that 
that is kind of engorged at this moment when when you feel like you need to find the perfect one right this instant or I'm going to die. Oh, my God. Yes, that engorged soulmate valve. Exactly. Just release it slightly, okay? <laughs> it's really like your tire is full of so much air and you're going to okay, release your that tire. little bit. Okay, yeah, yeah your soulmate tire. Overfilled your soulmate tire. Yes. Full okay. of air. Okay. All I'm saying is that, you know, recently the cold weather, I had to go and refill all my tires and the thing on the, the air machine is like, don't overfill. Your tire will explode and you will die. So in this moment... <sighs> wow. Instead of dying, we're just going to like slowly release that valve a little bit and a little air is going to come out. Okay. So, so yes, I, what this is speaking to is I do think that our cultural story about the one or about mm-hmm. soulmates is often based in scarcity, right? Because it's like, oh. there's only one. There's only yeah, one. There's right only person. one. And it, mm-hmm. it's out of billions of people. Yeah, you got to find I'm it. not going to find them. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, and you have people who, who take these studies that we've criticized in the past, but like, and if you don't have that one, if you don't have your soulmate, you're unhappy. You can't be happy without it. Like that kind of bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. And also this like time sensitive pressure on yourself and on everybody else and on people that perhaps you see out there in the moment and you're like, oh my God, I've got to grab them. I have to like find them and, and make sure that they're with me forever because if not then they're going to be gone forever or I'm going to be not available and then I'm going to miss out on the best person ever. Yeah, Something like, like the that. window of availability, you know, I got to get them while they're single. Oh my goodness, they, okay, they just broke up with their boyfriend. Okay, I wonder how long yes. I give them. I Don't want to grab them. I'm a creeper, but oh, but oh someone God. else is going to scoop them up. Like, okay, you know, this idea that there's this scarcity of the opportunity for yes. me to be able to approach someone or start dating somebody. And also, wow, I've done this before. Maybe this is just how I am because I like to move things fast. But this pressure to escalate a relationship quickly or just like immediately pursue an attraction. Like I meet someone, I find them attractive. So I got to do something right away because they might, you know, be gone the next day or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it it kind of is, as we said, like having an abundance mindset might sort of take the pressure off of all of these things. Please, please. An attunement. Yes. An attunement. Sorry. You're right. (laughs) I apologize. An abundance attunement might just sort of take the pressure off of all of these things. Also, it can help you, you know, sort of have patience during these dry spells that may happen or periods of loneliness in your life. Instead of viewing it potentially as you're a bad person, you're not doing the thing that you're meant to do on this earth, which is find a, a soulmate or something. Instead, it's like, hey, let's let's be a little more zen about this and understand that like there are wonderful things about getting to be alone, getting that opportunity to learn and grow by yourself. And being more willing to wait for something that is truly worth your time mm, and your worth time, your effort, sure. I think is a big difference. And that's something that I think whether you're optimistic or pessimistic, either way, there's something that they talk about a lot in positive psychology, like as hope or whatever. It's this idea that regardless of how I tend to evaluate things, understanding that nothing's permanent, you know, that, that it's not like, Oh, this is bad right now. And so therefore will be bad forever. And so I've got to lower my standards or I've got to, you know, accept a relationship with someone who doesn't treat me very well or something like that. 
And instead to say, you know what, how this is right now, maybe it is scarce, but that might not be forever. It's just like that little bit of a shift can can help you avoid some of those situations. And in terms of non-monogamous relationships, it can really help reframe feelings of jealousy or, you know, just a lack of feeling like, wow, I'm I'm not getting what I need in this moment because my partner is dating multiple people and they're out all the time and maybe I'm at home a lot or they're dating more people right now than I am, something along those lines, you know, provided that you're actually getting what you need in a relationship. If you're simply just feeling like, wow, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of hesitancy or jealousy during these moments, maybe it can help you kind of flip that on its head and, and realize, you know, this is, again, an impermanent situation. And also, like you just said, Jace, I mean, this positive psychology feeling, like you can hopefully inspire feelings of gratitude, of, of luck, joy, or safety when taking stock of what's actually present in your life. You actually talked to us today, Jace, about a little bit of positive psychology and gratitude. Can you share with the audience what that was? Well, we've talked about it before on this show. This was, gosh, probably a while ago. But basically of doing these exercises that have been shown to essentially do like gratitude attunement, where Mm -hmm. you take just a couple minutes every day. I've started doing this while I brush my teeth because that also takes two minutes. So those go hand in hand. And it's just to think about three things that happened today that you're grateful for. And it's new things every day. So the point of it is not even identifying these great things. The point is just spending some time trying to think of what those things are. Because often we can get so caught up in, I'm so focused on what I don't have, what went badly, what I screwed up, those sorts of things. And it gives you just this moment to reattune and say, what if my brain focused on identifying these other things? And just doing that little bit has been shown repeatedly in many, many, many studies to have a really significant positive impact. Now, this is when we're going to break away from from similarity to abundance mindset thinking, because I also want us to spend some time thinking about how abundance attunement could potentially be detrimental in a particular mm. situation. There's there's two sides to the coin. There's a dark side of the force. Oh, no. One with the light mm. side, you know? So I think that Maybe in particular situations when you're much more attuned or trying to focus more on, oh, it's abundant. You know, I have, I have plenty of what I need, maybe even more than what I need. That can be a straight up denial of reality sometimes, particularly when it comes to finding partners and dating. I, I think that we've seen the toxic side of this with like the money thing of that sense of, oh, just believe that you're going to have everything that you need. Just write yourself that $20,000 check and date it for some point in the future and then you're going to get it, you know? And and in the meantime, you're not actually doing anything, you know, or not really addressing any of the actual structural issues. So when it comes to things like dating, I want to give just a very, very brief nod to desirability politics. We're going to do a whole episode on this in the future. But just the fact that our culture assigns more value and or less value to people depending on things like their race, their class, their ability, how visible or invisible of a disability they may have, their aesthetics, whether or not they match Western beauty standards and Mm -hmm. more. And so that means that when we're living in this kind of paradigm, not everybody has the same exact access to potential partners. Not everybody has this automatic abundance of opportunities for dating or romance or sex. How that plays out in relationships is sometimes that's an uncomfortable 
an important conversation that people have to have, particularly people who are opening up for the first time and they're both exploring this whole weird, wacky world of dating apps. And for one reason, some, you know, one person is striking out all the time and the other partner has just like tons of partners or tons of opportunity or tons of interest, you know, and looking at the fact that, well, it's not like both people automatically started out (laughs) with the same exact, you know, like at the same exact starting line for that, that there's a lot of factors here where we can't just say, oh, whatever, just believe there's an abundance of partners and then it'll be okay. Yeah, I think where I see it show up too is one is an area where people will use this mindset to sort of give advice to someone else to be like, you'll have the same success as me if you just think like I do. And just that's not realistic. That's not actually how it works. Mm -hmm. The other way I've seen this one show up is in... I've seen people also kind of use this as an excuse to not show up and do any work on their side of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And instead to just be like, no one's good enough for me because I have this abundance mindset of like the perfect something's going to come along. And so that's kind of, again, when you go too far that side, you get into that kind of toxic, unrealistic side that just leads to not having any accountability or, you know, effort on your side of things. Also, the way this can be detrimental with relationships is it could encourage a potential denial of the fact that maybe you really aren't getting your needs met in life or in a relationship. Maybe you really aren't getting enough time with your partner. Maybe you really aren't getting enough affection from your partner. And it's not just a matter of, oh, if I just believe that there's an abundance of love and affection, then I'm going to feel okay. Sometimes that may be the case if you're trying to quiet down maybe some like jealousy or insecurity gremlins, but sometimes there may really be a problem and a vacuum and a a need that needs to be met there. That's not getting met. Yeah. The other downside of the whole abundance mindset is what made Dedeker want to throw up at the beginning of this episode (laughs) is the connection to the whole manifestation bullshit. And I'm sorry, I apologize to any of our listeners out there who are really into the manifestation thing. I was for many years, was very into that whole thing, that the whole thing can be rich thing or the whole the secret, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to get into this more in the bonus, actually. So stick around for that, patrons. But basically, it's this belief that if you just have the right positive thoughts, and if you just act like you already have the things that you want, that then you're going to get them, and it's going to come true just kind of on its own. And again, with this whole topic, there's maybe some seeds of effectiveness in changing your mindset about things. But this idea that just thinking it and receiving it mentally will make it happen can actually be really harmful. Again, because it can cause you to sort of blame other people or blame yourself for your lack of whatever, partners, money, success, whatever it is. And that it can just sort of be be harmful in that way. And there have been studies done on this that have been kind of interesting because while some of them have shown that manifesting, that kind of manifestation thinking can help you feel better in the moment, they may actually sap your energy from actually doing anything Hmm. toward the things that you want. Again, we're going to talk about this more in the bonus, but there have even been studies kind of showing that this does the opposite in terms of recovering from medical conditions or, you know, all sorts of areas where the manifesting can be detrimental. So it's just something to be cautious with that there can be this dark side. Now let's talk about scarcity and scarcity attunement 
And we're actually going to start out by talking about how scarcity attunement can be beneficial. This is the thing that not a lot of people talk about out there, especially when we hear the phrase scarcity mindset. It's only ever bad. It's only everything you want to avoid. But I do want to talk about the fact that sometimes attuning to scarcity can be a really, really good thing. For instance, it can help encourage you to have a realistic understanding of your limits around your time, around your money, or around your emotional Mm. energy. Mm. Oh, yeah. Gosh, we didn't even talk Love about that. that. And the the downsides of the abundance mindset is if you buy too much into you, the manifesting yeah. thing, you could be just throwing money around being like, oh, well, it's all going to be fine. It's all going to come back or... Or know. time. I mean, time is so limited, truly. And just saying yes to everything. I mean, I feel so often right. like, like oh, I need... Yeah. Yeah, like I need to do that. But stepping back and like actually looking at what is truly worthy of one's time is so important. Yeah, yeah that can really I change think, how you make decisions. Yeah, I've seen this a lot. I know I definitely went through this, that sometimes people on the non-monogamy journey, when they finally step into, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take ownership of this identity or this practice of non-monogamy or polyamory, and they jump into that, oh my God, I could date everybody. I'm going to date everybody. I'm going to go on all the dates. Seven and dates a week. Exactly. Yeah. And then very quickly often realize, oh no, I can't actually That's go on seven dates a week. Yeah. Oh no, my time is limited. So having a scarcity attunement in that way means that it can help you with careful planning, with management. It can offer insight about how to have effective boundaries around your resources. It can also help highlight actual areas of lack in your life or in your relationships that can help you ask for what you need or take action toward getting what it is that you need. And it can also just help with prioritizing your choices. I mean, this is getting a little bit deep, but there is things like existential scarcity. So this idea of sometimes this is called a midlife crisis, but really essentially gets down to realizing that your life is just too short to waste on stuff that isn't good to the best of your ability. And having that sense of scarcity around your time and scarcity around just your life, that can be really powerful. It can really revolutionize a lot of what you choose to do with your time. Yeah. So the other end of this... Yeah. No, it's... It just hit me. That's just so deep. It's And it's absolutely true. true. Absolutely. Yeah thinking about that a lot lately. So the other end of this, which is something that probably more people talk about, is that scarcity attunement can be detrimental at times. In things like relationships, where you feel like relationship resources are never enough. So this can happen, you know, this is a byproduct often of toxic monogamy culture. And this idea that if your partner isn't spending 100% of their time and energy on you, then it's not enough. It doesn't count. They're not the ones, something along those lines. Or that, like, you know, somehow you're not worthy of their time because they're also in- encouraged, you know, or, or wanting to do other things in their life. And that's, in my opinion, totally understandable. We're autonomous creatures, but it can feel like, wow, this person should totally be invested in me only. And if they're not, then there's something wrong. So it may prevent leaving a bad relationship because there's this assumption out there that, you know, there might not be any other partner for you or any other person that might want you in the future. So you got to stay with this person, even if it's not right, even if it's maybe even really toxic or potentially abusive, because I'm not going to get anything better. And then I think a lot of people fall into that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And also it can encourage hoarding behavior or hyper boundaried behavior. 
just choosing to sort of stay in a box that you create for yourself. And that's essentially it. And, you know, this is the only thing that I'm going to be able to live in and the only way in which I'm going to be happy. And so I can't sort of move past that or broaden my horizons in different ways. Yeah, thinking about the scarcity attunement and the ways it can be detrimental, I I see it show up a lot in non-monogamous relationships around things like time. And sharing time and quality time among multiple partners, it's a tricky subject. There's no real one-size-fits-all because people have different needs around time and value time differently. But I think that if you're coming from from this attunement of I'm focusing on the time that I'm not getting, like to an extreme degree, that that can really create this cycle of I need more time, I need more time, I need more time. And often the person you're asking the time from feels like it's never enough, it's never enough, it's never enough, it's never enough, you know? And so it can create this weird, almost like hoarding behavior, or I really, really need to very, very carefully defend this time that I have with my partner, really try to get more when sometimes the seed of the issue may actually be amount of time and sometimes it may be about quality of time or there may be something else going on in the relationship or in the attachment. But that's often how I see it play out hmm. in relationships where, where focusing on the scarcity can be not helpful. Right. And, and again, to think of it as attunement, it's kind of where is your focus going, right? So if you think about my partner, whether we're monogamous or not, some of their time is going to be focused on me and some of it's not. and where your attention is more focused. Is it more focused on the time they're not paying attention to me or the time that they are affects how much you enjoy that time or how much you suffer during that time. And so it's that thing of like, yeah, as we talked about before, maybe being too abundant in your mindset's not right because maybe you're not actually getting enough time or enough affection. But on the other side, if you're so focused on only the times when you're not getting something, it takes away from you appreciating what you do have and can kind of lead you to sort of spiral, like you said, Dedeker, where it's just never enough. Maybe they are just like more and more time, but it still doesn't make any difference. Could be because of that attunement. So here's the takeaway, folks. I think that it can be helpful in a lot of situations to just ask yourself questions about where your attunement is and ask yourself mm-hmm. questions about your feelings of abundance and scarcity. You know, it can be really simple questions like, okay, in this situation that I'm in right now, how might attuning to abundance help me here? Or how could attuning to abundance possibly be hurting me here? And same thing on the flip side, how could paying attention or attuning to scarcity help me here? Or could it be hurting me here? And I think that's all. Like, I really want to, to, Vacuum up the shame and judgment around <laughs> vacuum, like you're <laughs> your uh, Luigi. And, yes, yes, like Luigi, just suck up all those shame yes. and judgment okay. ghosts away from this whole yep. mindset conversation. Perfect. And really, yeah. it's just about where's my attention right now? If I switch my attention, could that help me? Could that hurt me? And it is all just just inquiry and curiosity and just getting data about the situation. So I hope that you can take that, apply that to some situations in your life and see what the result is. And I'm not going to throw up about it. (laughs) Good, good. (laughs) For all you listening at home, this is a big relief for Emily and myself. (laughs) We're like, goodness. (laughs) Thank the maker. So in our bonus episode, I uncovered, when I was reading up on manifesting, I uncovered a scientifically backed alternative to manifesting called whooping. 
W-O-O-P. Whoop, oh, I thought whoop. it was whoop. Like whoop, whoop. whoop there it whoop, is. Yeah, it's like whoop, there yeah. it is. Whoop, oh, okay, okay. Got, okay, good. So in the bonus, you said whoop. <laughs> we're going to talk about whooping slash whooping and making whoopie pies. Anyway, oh, okay. we're going to share our <laughs> recipe for whoopie pies. <laughs> so this week, we want to hear from you. Where do you feel abundance in your life, and where do you feel scarcity in your life? So we're going to post that question on our Instagram stories. Go to at multiamory underscore podcast on Instagram to answer that question. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners on this episode is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multi-Amory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanetta. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our researcher for this episode was Dr. Kiana Nurse. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.